Welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you all for tuning in today. And, you know, a lot during a lot of these, uh, a lot of the programs that I do, we talk a lot about pain education, sort of neuroscience pain education, and uh, learning from people like Adrian Lowe and David Butler and Lorimer Mosley. And, you know, they they have amazing information. But what I hear from a lot of physical therapists, and I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago given by the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society with Lorimer Mosley, and someone asked the question, well, how do we How do we take all this information and how do we use it clinically? How do we use it with our patients? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And to help me do that is John Barbas. He is a physical therapist uh, and with an office in Broomall, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Philadelphia. He received his B.S. in biology from Haverford College and his master's in physical therapy from Stanford University Medical Center. He has been a McKenzie certified therapist since 1991. He is one of the founding faculty members of the physical therapy program at Thomas Jefferson University and remains on the clinical faculty at Jefferson and has also taught at Temple University. He has been actively involved with the APTA, McKenzie Institute, and the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society. He served on the board of directors and was the educational consultant of the McKenzie Institute. He was a past president of the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society and currently serves on their board of directors. He has served as a consultant to several insurance companies and the Department of Labor, has lectured on the management of spinal and neuropathic pain, And in the past four years, his interests have focused on integrating mechanical and manual treatment concepts with the techniques that use neuroplasticity concepts to manage nociception and pain. He has lectured extensively on the management of CRPS, which we talk about a lot here, phantom limb pain, and other neuropathologies. He continues to teach, lecture, consult, and write on the treatment of musculoskeletal and neuropathic pain. So, John, thank you for taking the time out today and coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So, you know, I I just mentioned that a couple of weeks ago that I went to a lecture that was sponsored by the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society, and it hosted uh, the GPPS hosted Lorimer Mosley, sort of on his tail end of his, uh, I guess, North American and South American tour. And I was really impressed by, obviously, the the guest or the speaker, Lorimer Mosley, but also the way that uh, the course was run. I thought it was really good. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time here, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society. Um, Kind of since you were a past president, you're now on the board. Give us a little more information about when when the Pain Society started and what kind of stuff they do. Um, we started well back in the early 90s. Um, what we started off as is a group of um, multidisciplinary practitioners who realized that it was really important for us to communicate with each other about our patients. Um, we tend to see patients from different views, each with our own little specialty and our around the world. And so we began meeting in small groups that got bigger. Finally, we decided that we we got big enough to make it a the Greater Philadelphia Pain Society rather than a small group. 
Uh, we also became associated with the American Pain Society at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And really our goal has been to try to integrate um, all of the professions who deal with, and I hate the term chronic pain, I'd mm-hmm. rather use the term persistent pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we deal with those and how do we communicate with each other, given that we all kind of see a different part of that elephant? Um, and how do we put everything together so we can put together a good management plan for a specific yeah, and, and one thing that I really liked about this course was that usually the, the last time I saw Laura Mosley, even David Butler, the majority of people in the audience are physical therapists. And so it was refreshing to see at this course uh, in Philadelphia that there were physical therapists, there were physicians, there were occupational therapists, there were nurses. And I just, I really like the fact that it, it encompassed, like you said, more of it, uh, the whole healthcare team. And it, what, what's, what was interesting, too, is that when you look at the types of physicians that were there, there were different groups of physicians. There were uh, physiatrists, plastic mm-hmm. uh, you know, people, but there were also quite a few um, psychiatrists. Um, and there were also some interventionalists, anesthesiologists, mm-hmm. who looked primarily at doing injections and trying to develop a coherent plan on, on how do we deal with these situations. Yeah, and, and I think that was uh, something that that I really liked. And, you know, when I was up in um, Quebec City for the... God, what, what was Quebec City? I think maybe the the World Conference of Physical Therapy, perhaps. Um, yeah, that's it. Is that right? Whew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so David Butler was doing Explain Pain, and it, it was nice to see, again, it wasn't just all physical therapists. There were doctors and nurses and pharmacists, a lot of pharmacists there, actually, because the far- one of the pharmacists said that, you know, all we know is prescribing medication, and it was... They said they really wanted to learn more about other options. Well, it's interesting when you talked about the pharmacist, because I got back two emails, particularly from uh, a pharmacist, uh, because we have some great big, uh, you know, some, some components of big pharma here in, in Philadelphia, some uh-huh. of the major research facilities. And two of the pharmacists who are involved in research found it to be extremely valuable. Um, just giving them a whole different sense of pain, just not as something that is produced by damage of tissue, but also that, that effect of how the brain integrates all kinds of sensory information it gets to produce this output of threat or potential danger that we call pain. Right. And so it was really valuable for them to hear this put together in a way, and, and Laura um, in articulating in a way that's different from what you... the normal chemical neurotrophic uh, language of their world. Yeah, and and I think it's 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 nice to kind of get 
a lot different practitioners kind of really making the effort to try and understand this complex problem of pain versus just giving someone a medication and calling it a day. Well, it's, it's also, there's also an aspect of that that's really important. And I think this goes back to a lot of health care. Um, we health care providers get stuck in our little world. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what those other providers are doing um, or we believe we know and we really don't. Um, you know, I've learned so much about medications from uh, attending the courses, doing the stuff that I'm doing, that I can now provide um, an input back to physicians about the effectiveness of, of the mm. medication that they don't get otherwise. Sure. Um, physicians may see that patient once a month, um, once every two months. Mm-hmm. Um I have a much better day-to-day, week-to-week um, ability to see what's going on. Plus, I have the ability of being with that patient for about 45 minutes, which most physicians don't have that luxury of doing. That's true, yeah. It's 15 minutes in and out, so they have a very structured uh plan that they have to go through to meet their schedule and to see that patient. So a lot of times that's become very important patient management are missed. And so that communication back and forth becomes very, very critical from physical therapists, other nurses, uh, clinical psychologists. Um, and that's very essential. Oop. Hello? Yes, Oops. can you hear me? Okay, now I can. Yeah, you kind of faded out for Did a I fade there. out there a little bit? Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. So we lost the, the tail end of, you know... Well, I what I was saying there was in, in the tail, tail end was that um, in, in terms of having the time that physicians don't have, uh, we get to see a lot of the subtleties that a patient with persistent pain demonstrates. Mm-hmm. And so that clinical professionals like physical therapists, occupational therapists, clinical psychologists who have that time with the patient can give feedback to physicians that they don't, can't get any other way. Mm -hmm. And that's critical. That's really critical. And, um, you know, and, and so that it's important for each of us in our own little professions to get to see where our strengths are and how we can communicate for the patient's benefit back and forth between the other providers in the scheme. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we have to take a quick break right now, but that's definitely something that um, I think we'll talk about, maybe not next segment, but the following segment. Um, I, I'm going to try and incorporate some of, of that into maybe our talk with the beyond 2020 vision and everything that's happening in the physical therapy world. But when we come up next, what I think a lot of people want to know, and and John and I have spoken about this on the phone, is how to take all of this complex, like you had mentioned, John, um, information on pain, and how do we communicate that 
to our patients? How do we, it's, it's great to have all this information and to go to all the courses, but how do we then translate it over into our clinical practice, day-to-day practice with our patients? And so um, when we come back after these messages, uh, I'll give John the reins on that uh, to talk about how to incorporate all of that into your everyday interaction with your patients. So everybody stay tuned and we'll be right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you need a business plan that can guide your company's growth? Covenant 7 will help bring the changes you need. We are small business consultants and we pay attention to the details you may miss. Our coaching and consulting services are guaranteed to lead to right growth for your business. Call us at 917-833-4860 for a no-obligation free consultation. Check out our website at www.covenant7.com. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by fellow physical therapist, John Barbas. And so, John, one thing, like I said before the break, that everyone always asks, and I think someone brought it up during Lorimer's talk um, in Philadelphia, is how do we take all of this neuroscience pain education and how do we bring that into the clinic working with our patients? Because I think it can be a little overwhelming, And what I hear from a lot of therapists is, you know, I just don't know how to relate this information to the patient. And so you've been doing this for a long time. So what is your best advice? And and do you follow any sort of guidelines when educating your patients on pain? Um. My my experience is is that it is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can remember the first time um, I tried to incorporate this material. I had been doing some of this before, but it is such a leap from our normal training, our normal way of looking at patients, and what we've been trained to do. Um, you know, I've been practicing for 35 years. You know, we talk about pain patients. 
having neural tags, having distinct behaviors. Well, if you're a professional, you have those same kind of tags, but they're related to your professional behaviors. And it becomes very, very difficult to break through those. Um, the way I did it um, was, first of all, trying to think about myself and trying to treat myself. Um, I remember doing this back with the McKenzie system, and when I first learned this, mm -hmm. and going through and, in my mind, running through all of the arrangements and treating all those things in my mind, doing little mental games. With this, what I did was I tried to, you know, I, all of us have problems. We have problems with different joints, different backs. If you've been a physical therapist for a long time, you probably have more than one problem. Yeah, th it's it's sooner or later you're going to have sooner or later you're going to have some aches and pains. Yeah, yeah. And so, how do you how would you talk to yourself about this? How would you explain this to yourself? Because mm -hmm. what the whole idea is trying to get the patient to believe, and then to partake in behaviors that demonstrate that what they're feeling is not dangerous. Mm -hmm. Being able to discern that difference between sensation that indicate sensory information that may indicate, indicate that the tissue is under, under a little bit of stress or has a little bit of abnormal function but is not really functioning at a dangerous level, mm. and um, distinguishing that from the times when there really is danger there. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you get to yourself to be able to explain that, say, if I have knee pain? Well, that's normal garden variety discomfort. Um, it's not really dangerous. Let me work my way through this. Let me do some mental imaging. Let me do some other things and see if I can manage it. Mm -hmm. And so I started off that way. And what I did was I used Lorimer's language, David's language, and to develop images in my own mind that helped me deal with some of those things. And then as I became confident in my ability to treat myself, I felt more confident in explaining that to patients. Yeah, and I think that's great advice, you know, to be able to teach yourself, because that's a really, also a really great way of obviously reviewing and internalizing all of this information, to that way you can then project that out onto someone else. And now... And it, yeah. Oh, go, there, was also go one, there was also one really other important aspect of that that I learned. And and this was really elucidating for me in that I, I had to ask myself, how do I know that this is not really dangerous? That's what I was just going to ask you. Yes. How do you know? How do you, so how do you know it, number one? And then how do you tell a patient who comes in who's scared and nervous and maybe fear avoidance behaviors and everything else that it's not as dangerous as you think it is? 
And that comes down to having really good clinical skills. I, I have to say, probably the fundamental skill um, that really allows me to do the pain education stuff well is my skills at being a good manual therapist. Mm -hmm. Because it, I have a lot of confidence now in my ability to define whether this pain, whether this impairment is mechanically produced or not. And can I go about doing my clinical evaluation demonstrating a mechanical component. Mm -hmm. There's a mechanical component. Then, doggone it, probably the pain stuff isn't as valuable uh, because I've got some kind of component that needs to be managed first. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there may be some behavioral overlay and central sensitivity overlay mm -hmm. that I have to be, be aware of and deal with. But there's something real there that potentially can be damaging to tissue. And that, to me, working through that and developing the skill, and I think I developed the skill long before the pain, uh, I developed the pain education skills because essentially what I said to patients was, I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I can make you better. I can't explain your pain or your problem mechanically, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so that essentially, you know, you ended up and I ended up in that capacity of saying, I, I don't think this is something I can deal with. I feel helpless. Um, and I particularly feel bad about the patient. Sure, sure. The nice thing about the pain um, education material is that now, when I've cleared all the mechanical uh, uh, potential uh, elements mm -hmm. of the patient or be able to identify those that may be present but not really that big a deal, mm -hmm. um, I can really demonstrate to those patients and demonstrate the uh, components of it that are due to central sensitivity. Really important um, and really valuable techniques. Yeah, and, you know, I've just started, well, maybe it's been like three years now of really kind of delving into a lot of the pain science. And the reason that I feel like I can explain it to patients is, is really what you said earlier is because I was a person, and I'll say persistent pain, not chronic pain, with persistent pain, with persistent neck pain, and I heard David Butler speak, and after hearing him speak and really reading up on all of this for like three or four weeks, my pain, I would say 90% was gone. Right. And I had had people like work, I had had physical therapists work on the mechanical stuff, but I kind of, it was never right for me, and I always felt like this is not the problem. You know, one of the things I learned from being involved and seeing really, you know, seeing Robin McKenzie mm -hmm. um, um, from the early 80s um, when I started getting involved with this, uh, 
uh, do his courses. I must have seen Robin do at least five or six different courses and watching Robin work and Mm -hmm. watching other really good clinicians work is that if it wasn't clear, it wasn't clear for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, We could never quite explain why it wasn't a reason. We could explain what it wasn't. We couldn't explain what it was. Right. And now this whole element of centrally mediated pain um, really gives us a tool to really deal with those people that in the past we would have just said, okay, I don't know what to do. See a clinical psychologist. Right. It must be in your head. And that's right, it's in your head, but we have a role to play where we didn't think we had a role to play before. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, I think during the lecture that Lormer gave... um, in Philadelphia, he said, you know, years ago, just what you just said was pain, unsure, see clinic, you know, see psychiatrist, whereas now it's just pain, question mark. This is something we can get a handle on versus just saying, oh, well, this person is, you know, just making it up or they're malignoring or they're, you know, what have you. Or, or just, uh, or just, I can't deal with this. Yeah. And and then sending them home. Yeah. Um, you know, being honest with the patient where your skills begin and where they end. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think we are provided with a whole different skill set, which yeah. is really neat. Yeah, and, and really just kind like... kind of a neat process of, of for our profession. Yeah, and I think just like with your manual skills your skills in explaining pain to your patients takes practice. Oh, it takes tremendous practice. Oh, uh, you know, it's, you know, the the element of doing the pain um, treatments, the, the pain education, is a part of the practice of physical therapy that physical therapists don't, think about much. Mm-hmm. And it's that ability to communicate with a patient. And now and here's... Commu- oh, so. Communication takes as much practice as doing any manipulation. It probably takes more. Yeah, I agree. And, and here's a question that I think a lot of people ask or that I hear from different therapists. And it's... When you're in, and let's say you're doing your initial evaluation, you take down all your information, you do your evaluation, you rule out certain things, you rule in certain things, and you want to start in giving some pain education, how, like what I usually do is I'll take maybe five or ten minutes the first time and just sort of pepper that in each time. How do you go about the actual clinical treatment? So, you know, you're in front of a patient. Do you spend a half an hour the first day, or do you kind of pepper it in as time goes on? It depends upon what I um, see as being the primary source of the patient's discomfort or mm-hmm. impairment. Mm-hmm. Um it may be if they're primarily nociceptive. I mean, it's really mechanical. Um, I'll spend most of it, but at the end, talk about um, how the mechanical components can produce this thing called sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And, and why a patient, let's say they have a lumbar derangement, we clear 
their movement pathway. So they have full movement, Mm -hmm. but they still have discomfort or they may have the sharp central pain that you see that that someone has due to the centralization of Mm -hmm. a derangement. Mm -hmm. Talking to them about what may be going on there in the central nervous system to understand that that's not dangerous mm-hmm. uh, becomes really valuable. The other place where I've found where I may spend more time with this is with a, the first time um, I may see a patient who has had a total knee replacement. Mm. Mm-hmm. Talking about, yes, what is pain? What's happening there? What are you experiencing? how this goes through, let's see what we can avoid. Boy, this is reasonable. Um, giving them both a mechanical understanding of what's going on with the tissue, mm-hmm. but then how do those mechanical responses work with what's going on in the central nervous system? They've just had surgery, they're worried, they're anxious, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Um, and how does that produce that full body and brain experience that they have now, um, you know, a week or two after having the total knee replacement. Yeah, I'll, and, and we, we have to take a quick break, but I want to talk a little bit more about um, specifically kind of uh, surgical patients when we come back. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with John Barbas and talking about how to incorporate pain education into your clinical practice. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. At 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Yeah. 
and welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined by physical therapist and educator, John Barbas. And we are talking about how to incorporate all of this great neuroscience pain education as taught by, you know, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler, the Explained Pain Book. Um, how do you incorporate that into your everyday clinical practice with your patients. And, John, you said something uh, last at the end of the last segment, and if we didn't have to go to commercial, I would have just piggybacked on that immediately. But um, you were talking about the pain education to your patients, let's say, post-total knee replacement, or let's say any post-surgical patient for that matter. Um, But what I found that was incredibly helpful is... This uh, Earlier this year, I had a patient who had, she had a total knee replacement. And before that, she was in really awful pain, but not just in the knee. You know, it was the knee, it was the hip, it was the back, it was the other knee. It was a very centrally sensitized pain, uh, pain issue. And I was able to give her a lot of the neuroscience pain education going into surgery and also what to expect and things like that coming out of surgery. And, and I have to say, I noticed a huge difference. Of course, this is just me case studying one of my patients, but there is a huge, huge difference in pain after surgery, even more so than just because of the surgery alone. You know, she had, of course, she had pain in her knee. I mean, that's normal. But the pain everywhere else was gone. And, you know, the, and I think a lot of that had to do with she, and I gave her the Explain Pain book and she read it. And I, I just feel like she had such a deep understanding of, of what, to, what to expect and kind of what was going on that when she came out, I mean, this woman in less than three months was like vacationing in Anguilla. Oh, After a total it, knee it, replacement. It, it can be absolutely life-changing for patients when they, be, when they can start understanding what the difference is between the sensation of actual tissue damage and learned responses to sensory input. Yep, yep, because she would I, even... I'm sorry. She, uh, you know, to me, one of, one of the big tragedies in medical care is that we don't do enough preoperatively yep. to get patients prepared for what's going to come afterwards. And the thing is, is that what you're trying to do more than anything else is to allay fear. Mm-hmm. Fear is the big element in pain. Yeah, and you don't know what to expect if you cannot rationally process sensory information coming in. Your brain is perfectly operating well if it decides that every sensation coming in is dangerous to it. Mm-hmm. If it has not had that experience before of having a surgery, of understanding that, yes, there will be pain, but, you know, that that pain that you're having, or that, what I call them, and I do a lot of this, is I get rid of the term pain immediately. 
Mm-hmm. I don't use the term much with my the term pay with my patients at all. Um, I tend to use the terms no susception and and uh, fear response. Mm. And so I really try to go to that point a lot. Mm-hmm. A protective response, um, so that I, with every patient that I've had that's had a total knee replacement, it is such a wonderful teaching element because you're able to demonstrate to them what pain is there, that experience they're having of, of danger going on in their brain from actual tissue compromise. Mm-hmm. There has to be some tissue compromise there. You've just had a surgical wound. Sure. You don't want to stretch that wound and open up the scar. So there's really valuable information coming there. You want that there. Right. But there's also this other stuff that hang around after you're done. Um, there's an achiness. Where does that come from? You're not damaging any tissue at that point in time. Oh, and why does it hurt down into your foot up to your hip when, it, when you had your knee operated on? Mm-hmm. Why is that there? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. But when you put it into a sense that this has been, a, you know, the, the nervous system has just undergone a significant trauma, not just your knee. Mm-hmm. The whole nervous system has. The nervous system is responding. But it doesn't mean it's dangerous. Right. And I think that's the most important thing is that it doesn't mean it's dangerous. And I think, you know, here's an opportunity, especially in in really any preoperative patient. This is a big opportunity for physical therapists who are very confident and, and knowledgeable in their pain science to show a huge value to the patient, I think, and to the medical system as a whole in being able to educate uh, a lot of to educate patients before surgery. I know Adrian Lowe has the pamphlet, you know, your nerves are having yep. surgery for the back, which is awesome. It's a great little pamphlet. And, and I, you know, encourage everyone to read it. If you are a physical therapist to deal with people with pain, back pain. Um, but I just think that this is such a huge opportunity for physical therapists to really stand out and add value to our profession and to the medical society, I think, as a whole. I, I think one of the other things that, that has to happen, and part of this comes, you have to be confident in this, and, yeah. and because this is a big, a big part of being, being able to become effective at doing this. Um, as a physical therapist, you have to feel good and to be positive when a patient moves and they say, oh, that's painful. Mm-hmm. I become very excited. I get very animated. I get very positive when I have a patient tell me that. Because at that point in time, I find that as the ultimate teaching experience. Because at that point in time, the patient and I can have a conversation about you're moving this far and you're getting that pain. Could this really be dangerous? Or you're moving that far and you're getting pain? Of course, that's a really important signal. Mm-hmm. And the patient I have the most difficulty with is the patient, and I think we all had them, 
is then when we evaluate and we can't produce their comparable pain. Right. And so that, or you, everything they do, they produce pain. And yeah, I think that in one's both those situations, it becomes much more difficult to develop a good treatment plan and a, and a particularly good educational plan. Mm-hmm. Um, for that patient. But I, I get very excited. I get very animated. I'm, in some respects, happy when I produce a patient's pain because now I have a sense of being able to tell that patient what's producing it. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah, it's sort of your window in, if, if yes. you will. Yeah, and that's important. It's important to know when you have that window and when to really take advantage of it. And I think that's something that's important to remember in the clinical aspect of explaining pain. Absolutely. I mean, and, and not only that, but you've raised it in a way that catches the patient's attention. Mm-hmm. This is extremely relevant. Yeah. This is not just a theoretical issue anymore. This is something that is, for them, at least their brain's telling them, mm-hmm. a potential existential threat. So this is extremely relevant, and so it's one of the best teaching tools we mm-hmm. have. I mean, it, I go crazy every time I hear therapists talking about putting pens or putting oh. a hot pack on or doing an ultrasound to a low back pain Do people still do that? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I mean, but you're losing the most powerful teaching element. That yeah. And not only that, but you're training the patient in the wrong way. Yep. They need to know what that, patient, what that pain means. They mm-hmm. need to know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you can't do things to them where that allows them to dissociate from them, mm-hmm. or essentially think that this is something they have to avoid. Right, it's something they have to deal with. Right, yeah, and 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 you know, I think that's uh, a great way to kind of end this this segment. We're going to come back, and um, I have a couple more questions for you talking about bringing the the clinical aspect into pain education. So everybody, uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? 
When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by fellow physical therapist, John Barbas, and we are talking about how to incorporate the neuroscience pain education into your everyday clinical practice with patients. And John, you had said something, I don't know, maybe it was in the last segment or the segment before, about, you know, having very good manual skills as being one of the most important things to even talking to your patients with uh, using the neuroscience pain education. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with a physical therapist a couple of weeks ago. And he was having a hard time in that, you know, I interviewed Adrian Lowe last month. And he said, you know, after, let's say we're talking about persistent low back pain or neck pain. And that, yes, you did have a soft tissue damage, but after, let's just say, six months, that damage is, is probably healed by then, yet you still have the pain. And so the conversation that I was having with this physical therapist was, well, can't you just keep re-injuring the same area over and over again so that the tissue never heals and that's why you have pain? I, I can't. What is I your can't say that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I can't say it doesn't happen, but at the same time, um, if you have really good manual skills, you should be able to demonstrate to yourself and to the patient mm-hmm. that's true. And to me, if the patient's continuing to injure themselves by doing something. Mm-hmm. That's more of a behavioral intervention than manual therapy intervention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got to change something about that behavior of that patient. Right. Now, that makes sense. And, and here's another question for you. Again, let's sort of talking about our manual skills. So I was speaking to a therapist, and he was saying, you know, I had a patient with persistent low back pain, and I felt like uh, something in their back. I don't know, like a nodule or something like that. And he would manually massage and work on that, and the patient would definitely feel better afterwards. And so his argument was that some sort of soft tissue was pressing on, let's say, a nociceptor, for lack of better, just to kind of make things a little simplistic and and that was what was causing the pain and that if you remove that then the patient would no longer have pain so his argument was that it's not always 
top-down pain, but that it could be bottom-up, which I disagreed with. Um, but again, I've, you know, I've only been kind of delving into this stuff for the last couple of years. But what is your opinion on that? And he, you know, he was sort of saying, well, if I were to put a rock, you know, onto your hand and keep it there all day, it would start to hurt. And if I removed it, the pain would go away. Well, this, well I, I would have two things. One, nociception happens. Mm-hmm. But nociception should be a mechanical response. In other words, if that tissue, just taking your uh, uh, example there, that there is, uh, I can't discount that someone, let's say, in their back at the facet joint, in the capsule of the facet joint, mm-hmm. that there is uh, some scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, when you move the, when he goes into flexion, he stretches the posterior capsule, producing um, um, a stretch on that hypersensitive free nerve ending. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't discount that, that that might not be a nociceptive generator of the pain. Mm-hmm. But that should be mechanically productive and you should be able to see a response Mm -hmm. and you should be able to predict with time how that should change Mm -hmm. and so i would expect um that geez i I, sometimes doing a manual technique like that should might be effective i'm not discounting that but it should be done in the realm of understanding what you're trying to do and if you do it a couple times and it's still hanging around, mm-hmm. maybe you need to be looking for some other potential cause that isn't particularly nociceptive, mm-hmm. that may be more centrally mediated. Right. Um, but it, I think this is where the skill set becomes really valuable, of uh, being a manual therapist, mm-hmm. of being able to mechanically provoke something making sure that it's the comparable pain that you're provoking, not just a random pain, but the comparable pain that you're provoking, and being able then to do something mechanically to relieve, not not to relieve it, but to get rid of it, Mm -hmm. and to predict whether that should be a short-term course or a long-term course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the... Because the way I looked at it is, of course, that there can be something in the periphery or within the soft tissues that can be irritating, like you said, a a live free nerve ending and causing that nociceptive signal to go up to the brain. But I think where it gets confusing is, you know, nociception is not necessary for pain. And so, you know, if you're treating someone manually and you feel a restriction or you feel a nodule or you feel scar tissue or something and you feel like you've removed that and the patient no longer has pain, have you removed sort of the the element of danger from that area and that's why you no longer have the pain? I I can't discount that that might not be true. I I mean, that could very well be happening. Um, But at the same time, I think any time you do that as a therapist, you mm-hmm. should have in your mind the idea that I should see such and such a change mm-hmm. in that in such and such a time. Mm-hmm. 
if it's not doing that. The problem comes in is when you deal, and I'm, I used to deal with this because I, I, I took a Travel course and uh-huh. way back in, in, in the early 80s and late 70s, and so I chased trigger points all over the doggone place. Right, right, yeah. And when you and when you work on those trigger points, yeah, when you do it, you do get some decrease in that. But I didn't see any kind of lasting yeah. mechanical change. Right, and, and and you know that had been my experience, and that's why I said earlier, like I always felt like something was missing. Like I do not discount the fact that I personally have some tight tissues up around my neck but if i don't have any pain and i'm fully functional why should i care oh absolutely am i you know what i mean like why why should i care if i feel like so like what would happen is i would have someone you know maybe work on my bicep muscle and after doing that maybe i wouldn't have as much tingling into my hand my arm would feel better but within two days it was back so it yeah, wasn't I mean, anything it, that was permanently fixing or permanently or making a permanent fix. Well, also in terms of it, what is it that's mechanically producing that yeah. tingling into the hand? Yeah, and I don't think I mean there are a number of places in the sure. body where you can press where you're going to produce symptoms. Sure. I mean, you know, it's you know you can make a lot of money by going to specific points, pressing on them, and <laughs> saying, "Does that hurt?" Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, let uh, me fix that for you. <laughs> and then you can make lots of money doing that. Yeah. But is it relevant to the patient's problem, and is it going to get the patient better? Right, right. And I think that those are all, you know, I think that's a great thing to think about when you're treating your patient is, is it relevant and is it making a lasting difference? Not just, you know, is this working for a couple of days, and then the patient comes back and the pain's back. You know, I saw a patient last week who, you know, a therapist was working on doing soft tissue. All the pain was going away. She was feeling great. And then when I saw her, of course, she's like, I had horrific pain all weekend. And yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, so it, anyway, we can go on and on with this conversation, but unfortunately, we only have about two minutes left. So can I just say one yeah. parting thing? Yes. One of the parting things that, that I tell every patient when the first thing I see them, and one of the things that's really critical for me in, in getting this across, the first thing I tell my patients, my first rule of thumb is do no harm. Mm-hmm. I would never do anything to produce any tissue damage, and you need to tell me that, and if I am producing these warning signals, we need to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, you know, I think that's great for every manual therapist to hear because you never want your patient to come back and say, I'm bruised, I'm this, I'm that. Um, so do no harm is is a great sort of mantra, I think, for all manual therapists to have. And unfortunately, we've run out of time, which I knew was going to happen, and we weren't going to get into everything we wanted to talk about. But I thank you for coming on. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Uh, they can reach me at John Barb B A R B numeral one at AOL dot com. Great. And thank you so much for coming on. This is going to be a huge help to people in, in their clinical practice. So thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. Great. All right. And everyone have a great have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Bye. Bye bye.
You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you a female entrepreneur ready to break through? Join us at Sexy Body Sassy Soul, where women are empowered to ask for and receive what they truly want in love, life, and business. Tune in Thursdays at noon Eastern Time to learn tips and juicy secrets from inspiring women and men who dare to define their success. Get inspired, stay motivated, and define your version of joy and success with Sexy Body Sassy Soul every Thursday at noon New York Time on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving communications. That's the answer. TalkingAlternative.com. 